After reading and thoroughly enjoying the Kincaid series by author William Bernhard, I extended an invitation to Bill to join me on Things That Matter, and he graciously accepted. Bill, welcome. Thanks for having me. In the novel Capital Threat, Ben defended the president's next Supreme Court nominee, who's gay. But a number of the senators wanted to derail the nomination because they were concerned about the judge being an activist judge. Um, as I thought about this, I was reminded of the nomination for Judge Sotomayor back in 2009 when she was accused of being a judicial um, activist. Is there such a thing as an activist novelist? And do you consider yourself to be one? I probably would not use the term activist novelist, but I like to write about things that matter and write books that are set in the real world and comment and, and, and inspire people to think about things. To me, the great novelist was Dickens, who I also don't think of as an activist in the sense that he's out campaigning or lobbying for particular bills, but he's causing people to look at the world in which he lived, which did in fact lead to some profound social changes. The only reason I'm resisting your label of activist novelist is because it sounds sort of preachy. The point is that Ben was in Washington and I wanted to write a political thriller as a change of pace from the usual courtroom thrillers. And I thought that a case revolving around a Supreme Court nomination would be interesting. But at that point of time, I tried to think, what in this day and age would really be controversial? You know, we've lived through times when uh, Supreme Court nominees were uh, completely eliminated for things that seem trivial today, because they admitted to having once smoked a marijuana cigarette or something like that. And so I was trying to, but times have changed, obviously, so I was trying to think what would be controversial in the era that I was writing the book. And what I came up with was, well, someone who had been in the closet, but as he accepts the nomination, comes out, announces that he's gay, and basically says, live with it, <laughs> I'm not going to hide. And he's a Republican nominee, just to make it even more controversial. I thought that would be interesting, but, you know, today in 2018, with that still, I'm not even sure that would be an issue today. Times have changed, and in some ways for the better. Educators often tell their students that they must read more because doing so would improve their writing. Is there any truth in this, and um, do you find that your reading has informed your writing? Yes, absolutely. You cannot be a writer unless you're also a reader. They go hand in hand. And obviously, when you're young, you need to be reading to develop your language skills, your perhaps subconscious or intuitive understanding of how stories are told. But it's a lifelong process. You can't stop. I try to read every day, and most days do. That's feeding the juice. That's just making sure your understanding of stories and your grasp of language stays intact. I remember not too many years ago talking to a young co-ed on a college 
campus, and she she said, Mr. Bernhardt, I, I really, I really, I, 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 I want to be a writer so much, but I hate reading. What do you recommend? And I think I said, I recommend a business major, because this is never going to happen for you. There is no way you're going to be a writer if you don't like reading. They go hand in hand. I don't, uh, to, to this kind of people who go to school and, 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 and take English or professional writing classes, but aren't reading. And you can't have one without the other. You cannot possibly, can't even hope to compete in the modern book marketplace if you don't know what's out there. You need to be reading constantly. What do you think is the reason why people are not really reading today? There are definitely different forms of reading, but I think that one gets different things from different forms of reading. Well, 
um, digital format is here, whether we like it or not. And of course, it can be very useful in the classroom. In the English department, really in all the departments, textbooks have become ridiculously expensive. And you see students lugging around backpacks loaded to the brim with all uh, these expensive and heavy textbooks. Well, that's kind of uh, ridiculous in the modern age when virtually everything in them is probably accessible somewhere on the internet. I think we, we can use these tools to our advantage without eliminating the reading experience. From experience and from listening to other persons, I know that writing takes a lot of time. Does writing energize or exhaust you? A little bit of both, I think. Uh, I, I don't know that it ever really exhausts me. Uh, it is a lot of work, and it is time-consuming. And uh, nobody's going to ever make you do it. You know, probably, at least outside of a university environment, if you've got a paper due on a deadline, maybe. But in the real world, where you're writing for publication, trying to be a writer, you are going to have to be the person who makes yourself sit in that chair and think and outline and write for what is going to be hours upon hours upon hours. There is no shortcut to writing a book. It just takes a lot of time and a lot of work, and a lot of that is mentally taxing and certainly time-consuming, but there's nothing better than getting one done and reading it and being pleased and then seeing it in print, seeing your name on the spine of the book, that's a pleasure that's pretty hard to match. And then maybe you have the experience of starting the day with a great email from somebody who wrote one of your books and enjoyed it. All of those are energizing. You realize that your books are like ships on the sea, and you put them out there, and they have unintended and unexpected consequences, they affect people in ways that you wouldn't have predicted. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Would you like to share one major strategy that you use to help yourself through sticking to the writing of the book? I don't know that I've ever really needed a strategy. I just think of writing as what I do. That's my job, and I treat it like any other job, which means I get up in the morning and I sit down and make myself work. I do other things as well, but the writing comes first, and there are some advantages. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to drive to an office. I don't even have to get out of my pajamas necessarily to work on my book, uh, but, but I, just, I, I just treat it like a job, and, and that's what I do, and I know if I don't sit down and do it, those books aren't going to get written, so that, that's never been hard for me. When I read your book, I, I get the impression that you have based some of it on your life experiences. So the question is, how do you take these life experiences and actually use them to, to write a story, as you have done, that is enjoyable, but also speaks to some of the social issues that are occurring? I think I use my knowledge, which sometimes comes from personal experience and sometimes comes from research in books, far more than I use actual experiences. Anytime I write a book, I've written some historical novels, I've written courtroom novels and 
always like have some experience in the courtroom, but there's always some research that has to be done. I think often where beginning writers go wrong is when they set out to write a book about something that happened to them, a novel, I'm talking about fiction, nonfiction, based upon something that happened to them, and the protagonist is typically going to be a thinly veiled version of themselves, maybe a more glamorous or superpowered version of themselves, the basic, but it's them experiencing something that happened to them, and that's probably not the best way to start a novel. As I think you know, I've written several books on writing, and I coach writers who are trying to break into uh, this field, and I always try and caution people, you know, to say it a nice way that just because something happened to you doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be interesting to somebody else. What's going to make a compelling story for your reader? Once you know what kind of story you need to tell, what's the best character? involved in that story, there should be synergy between character and plot. You got the character that's right for that story and the story that's right for that character. And that's the best way to build a story. In all of these Red Sneaker books that I've written on writing, the first one was called Story Structure, the key to successful fiction. Because I think structure is the key to telling a good story. People don't often like to talk about that because that makes it sound so mechanical and craftsman's like, and uh, we'd rather think of this uh, uh, about being all artistic, and I write from inspiration, and, and that sounds much more romantic, but the truth is writing is both. It's both an art and a craft, and you have to respect the elements of both. There is a structure to storytelling, and that's what people are responding to. That's what draws them in. So uh, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I think understanding the right way to construct a story is the key to be su- being successful as a novelist. But do you think that your lived experiences also help to enhance the writing as well? Well, uh, of course, I've written out 19 books with this lawyer character in Ben Kincaid, and I am a lawyer, and I did practice as a trial lawyer for many years. But are any of Ben's cases based directly on my own cases? No. Frankly, I don't, I don't think any of them would make for a very good book. And I wouldn't base a book on any of the cases I've tried. But I know it is to be a lawyer, have clients, and go into courtrooms. You know, people always assume that Ben Kincaid is based on me. And, and, and perhaps there is some of me and Ben. But at the same time, uh, you know, Ben was never a super-powered version of me. If anything, when the series began, he was a, a, a lesser, a devalued version of me. I was a, a successful partner in a big law firm, and he was a struggling solo practitioner who was stumbling around and making all kinds of rookie mistakes in the courtroom. You've got a glimmer of something uh, that you can expand or develop or reshape make a good plot, great, but probably that's just going to be one of many elements. And then what's your next book going to be about? You know, and after that, uh, eventually, you're going to have to develop the ability to invent stories. So you're saying that you basically could take some aspects of your lived experiences and um, use it to 
shape your characters not necessarily that you're telling a, because it's fiction you're not telling a true story but you're using it to get inspiration and ideas for how this story could flow sure the inspiration and ideas come from everywhere uh, I, I, I think it would be sad if I were only limited to my own experiences because you know I've never solved a mystery <laughs> or solved a murder case that I wasn't alive in the 19, in 1935 where I've said two novels uh, uh, so yeah you can use experience but I would never want to be limited by that the only limits should be the limits and breadth of your own imagination earlier we talked about expanding the meaning of reading do you think that reading digitally expands the imagination as much as this reading a had copy book that's an interesting question whether reading something in an ebook format in a digital format uh, delivers the same punch as you know a print book one that you hold in your hands and is made up of wood pulp and cardboard and glue for myself i think the answer is no i know that i get more pleasure it's a more meaningful experience and it just sticks with me longer when when i'm reading you know what i consider to be a so-called real book but the question is is that just because you know that's what that's the kind of book i grew up with and i'm of an age where I'm, I'm not going to learn new tricks. Will it be the same for the next generation of people who encounter stories primarily with digital formats? That's the question I don't know the answer to. I have seen some preliminary research that people have done, which has suggested that people reading digitally don't get the, the same experience. But uh, whether that's limited to you know, whether that's based on age, whether that's something that's going to work its way out over time, I just don't know. I myself would rather have an old-fashioned book I hold in my hands. On the other hand, when I'm traveling, uh, e-books are very advantageous. They take up a lot less space. When we talk about, um, you know, helping children to learn and giving them different means of learning, if we are going to basically go the route of just the digital format, I'm just wondering if we are also going to be making it more challenging for some people who might actually prefer, even younger people today, who might prefer to use the hard copy books from time to time in order to learn. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think we're going to for a while. There are some clear advantages to digital books. The ability to download a new book in a matter of seconds well that's astonishing uh, i remember and you probably will do it will too the experience of hunting through dusty used bookstores trying to find that book you've always wanted to read but it's out of print you can't find a copy well that barely even exists anymore you can find virtually anything somewhere on the internet uh, clearly prices are lower uh, for ebooks, usually anyway. So there are a lot of advantages for readers. Not so much for writers, but a lot of advantages for readers. 
but the key question is going to be whether they're delivering the same immersive, powerful, life-changing experience. And I just don't know the answer to that yet. You know, we've heard a lot about artificial intelligence um, and the kind of impact it is having and will have on the workplace. And I just had to ask you this question. Can you imagine a world where AI takes over authorship? imagine a, an artificial intelligence writing a book? Yes. Frankly, I could. But what at least we haven't seen yet in any kind of artificial intelligence is the spark of originality. That is, moving beyond what you've been programmed to do and inventing something different. Usually when we have new literary movements, or innovations, or people who break the mold and, uh, and become the exceptional authors that we study in school. It's because somebody's doing something different rather than doing what people have been doing all along. So, yeah, sure, if we can program computers to drive cars and <laughs> diagnose illness, then I'm sure we could program one to write a book. But I think it would always be a book along the lines of what has been done in the past, not the kind of innovative, you know, the Emily Dickinson, the Virginia Woolf, the James Joyce, the person who makes us all sit up and, and say, wow, now that's something completely different. The Red Sneaker Writing Center, why that name? I wanted to write books that would actually help people write rather than to complicate or mystify the process. It's hard enough already. So in a book like a Story Structure, what I'm trying to do is say, look, these are the essential elements of storytelling. Making sure you're, make sure you're hitting all of these points. It's still not going to be easy if you think you're going to find some magic formula that's going to uh, make it easy from there on out. You are completely wrong. Writing is just hard. And that's never going to change. But I wanted to help. And so the idea of the red sneakers is, uh, you know, nothing fancy, but something that's attractive and flashy and practical. I love my red sneakers. They get me everywhere and do it well. What is um, one of the most frequent sentiments um, that you've heard made by the participants? summer I host some uh, small group writing retreats where I get a small group of people together and work with them individually, specifically on their work in progress and try and you know, uh, bring it up to the next level. I also host a writing conference every fall, the Red Sneaker Writers Conference in Oklahoma City. And, and the point of all of these is to give people useful advice and information to help them along the way to becoming successful writers to achieving whatever the writing goal is. And what I've heard time and time again to answer your question from uh, people who have come out of my programs and actually published work, and at this point there have been many, is you help me understand what I needed to do what I needed to fix, what I was doing wrong, you know, and 
And I think that's because, first, because I actually read people's work and work with them individually. And secondly, because I'm not trying to, you know, mystify the process or, or, or obfuscate it or, or make it seem more complicated than it needs to be. I try and be direct and immediate to the point. Try this. And that approach seems to work. Is there something that you want to share with the audience, especially those persons who are thinking of becoming writers or who are interested in, you know, in writing a novel? The best advice I can give to anybody who wants to write is to start writing. You need to read every day and you need to write every day. And you've probably got some other kind of job or school or something going on. So you're probably not going to have as much time to devote to it as you'd like. That's fine. Do what you can. When I was writing my first novels, I was a trial lawyer, full-time, and litigation is about as immersive as any branch of law could possibly be, but I always found some time. Maybe it was early in the morning, maybe it was on the weekends, but I tried to write, tried to write every day. And if you're serious about it, you know, if you want it badly enough, you will find the time to make yourself sit down in that chair and keep working until you've got something to show people. Well, Bill, thank you so much for agreeing to take the time out of your busy schedule to um, to sit with me. And I really appreciate your time. And I wish you continued success. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. A.